Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is the message given on Sunday morning, December 17th by Tom Job from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. For Advent, it would be awesome if we did a thing where, um, you know, thinking about Emmanuel, that God came into our world and how it affected um, different people in the Christmas story. So I wanted to read to you, um, this comes out of Luke chapter, you, you know, just the fact that God came into the world and how, how it affected people's lives and changed them. I just wanted to read one verse out of Luke chapter two. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Lord, help us to understand so many things. And help us to understand the one who has loved us so well. And, uh, and maybe if there's someone even here doesn't really know anything really about Jesus, um, that this would be a day when lights maybe would go on and a heart would light up. Anyway, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so um, so we're just in talking about different characters in the Christmas story, I think one thing that's important to know is that a lot of people who are officially characters in the Christmas story are not really in there. Like, like the little drummer boy. He is not in the Christmas story, and he really shouldn't be. I mean, I just, I, so like, I'm a person who, I don't really get annoyed very much, but I just think that's the most annoying Christmas song there super is. I mean, I think, I don't know why, but I think it, well, so like I counted this week, Pum, the word pum, not even the puh or the rum, but just pum, 108 times in, in that song. It's just like, shall I play my drum? For, I mean, so if it was a little bit more accurate, because drums don't go pum, pum, pum. Drums go bamity, bam, bams. Like, shall I play for him? Bamity, bam, bam. And it's like, no, bro, no, no. Heck no, we just got this baby to sleep. You're not playing that drum in here. <laughs> I mean, if he said, you know, I have no gift to bring to lay before the king, shall I come in and do the dishes in the kitchen? Sure, honey, come on in and do that. But, um, you know, some of the songs talk about the ox and the ass. And um, so the, they're not, so the ox is not in there in the, in the scriptures, really. In the Christmas story, it's the manger that puts the whole thing in a livestock setting, but it never talks about the ox. And as far as the other animal goes, there was the innkeeper, and he kind of was one, but the Christmas jerk, really. But actually, he's not in the Christmas story. Like, the innkeeper, um, so when it says there was no room in the inn, that's a, it's a Greek word that could mean a couple of things, and it doesn't necessarily mean like a hotel. So the idea that there was like an innkeeper, but in the Christmas you know, plays that they always did, that I always did growing up in, 
when I was a kid and we always did like the Christmas pageant on Christmas Eve and like all the kids from like third grade to fifth grade, you know, we were in it and somebody was always the innkeeper. And they, I, I remember reading about one Christmas where, you know, they had practiced the Christmas story and then the kid that played the innkeeper, you know, when it got to be Christmas Eve and there were all the candles and all the people and he just got really, really emotional. And when Joseph and Mary came up to the innkeeper and, they, and he said, he was supposed to say, we have no room for you. And so he said, we have no room for you. And then they went off, and it just kind of got him. And he said, come on back, kids. He said, I can make a space for you. you know, uh, <laughs> there was one kid, he was, just, he was so mad. He, could, he wanted to be Joseph. He wanted to be Joseph for like two years, and he kept having to be the innkeeper, and he had to be the innkeeper again. And he got so mad, he thought he would sabotage the whole production. So when Joseph and Mary, they said, do you have room for us? And he said, sure, I do. Come on in. I got plenty of room. You know. And the kid that played Joseph, he didn't really know what to do, so he, he just kind of walked in and looked around and said, I can't bring my wife into this dump. And then he so, <laughs> But um, so I did. Th so I was thinking about people that were characters in the Christmas story, and um, and I don't know. I I've, I've just been thinking about one that I hadn't really thought about in a long time. But um, I mean, or kind of maybe ever. But a week after the baby Jesus was born, Joseph had to take him to have him circumcised, and. There was somebody who did that. And I guess he's a part of the Christmas story. And that was the day that Jesus got his name. I mean, it's hard for us to think about that when Jesus came into our world, there was a period of time when he didn't even have a name. The first, like his week, because they always gave the baby their name on the eighth day. Jesus was... Um, Jesus was, and is his, his proper name. Like, so Jesus Christ, Jesus is his name. Christ is really a title. Christ is a Greek word that means, um, it's, it's the same as the Hebrew word Messiah. It means the king, the promised king, the one who's going to come and take over this world and make it into the kingdom that it sh always should have been and never has been. You know, there was a time when, in the very beginning of Christianity, when everybody was under the Roman Empire and it was dangerous really to be a follower of Jesus. Have you ever seen that fish thing like it's kind of a symbol that of you're a Christian and it looks kind of, looks kind of like a fish. The um where that came from was like in the in the Roman Empire when you could really get in trouble if you were a follower of Jesus. If you take the 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 words Jesus Christ, son of God, savior in Greek, it's Jesus Christos, Huius Theou. Soter. Um, if you take the first, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Savior, and if you take the first letters of all those words and put them in order, it spells ichthus, which means fish. And so, like, if I thought, like, maybe just talking to someone and I don't really know them, but I'm a follower of Jesus in dangerous times, and I think maybe that person's a follower of Jesus, but I don't know, because they're kind of acting like it, you can kind of see it, but I'm not really sure. But if I tell them I am one, they could report me if they're not. So maybe in the dirt, I would just make that first semicircle. And if he wasn't a follower of Jesus, it wouldn't mean anything to him. But if he was, he would make the other one. And then we would both know that we were free to talk about him. But Jesus, it was a super common name in, um, like in New Testament times in the Holy Land. 
it was um, there was a, there was a scholar who had who actually he had researched from funeral records and taxation records and all that the most common male and female names in the in um, the Holy Land in the time of the New Testament the most and Jesus was the sixth most popular name for boys, but and it meant, so Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, Joshua. Is, was the Hebrew way of saying it, who was one of their, like, the, of the people of Israel, it was, well, he was one of their heroes. Um, well, Joshua, actually, the way you would say Joshua is Yahshua. It comes from the word Yasha, which means to save, and, and the word Yah, which is a shortened form of the word Yahweh, which is, like, really God's name in the Old Testament. Um, like the word hallelujah, hallel in Hebrew means to praise. Hallelu means y'all praise. Y'all praise Yah, like praise Yahweh. Elijah in the Old Testament, his name uh, is, was really Eliyah. El is the Hebrew word for God. It's kind of a shortened form. There was, there's a fuller form, Elohim, but El means God. Eli means my God. El-E-Yah, my God, is Yah. So, when Jesus came into the world, when that little baby came into the world, when it, on the day that he got his name, on the day that he was about to cry as hard as he would ever cry in his life, it had said centuries before, that he would be almighty God who had become a little baby. There's a place in Isaiah chapter seven where this was like 700 years before the first Christmas. And it said that a young woman who, a young virgin was gonna get pregnant without doing, without doing it with anyone. And that she would have a baby, a boy and they would call him Emmanuel. Im means with. Nu means us, Imanu. El, God with us. In chapter nine of Isaiah, it says there's coming a day when all the, war, all, it's, where all the wars and conflicts are gonna be over. And all the bloody uniforms and bloody boots are gonna be piled up and burned. Because unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name will be called the Wonderful Counselor, El Gibor, the Mighty God. In, in chapter 6 of Isaiah, there, there's, this, there's this thing that happens. It happened to Paul one time. It happened to the Apostle John one time. But Isaiah said on the year that, on, in the year that King Isaiah died, I just got caught up into heaven. He's just like, I don't quite know how it happened. But he found himself in heaven. And he said, I saw the Lord seated on his throne. I saw Yahweh. Whenever you see in the Old Testament the word Lord in all capital letters, that means that in that place, it's, it's in the Hebrew 
Old Testament, it's the word Yahweh. And I saw Yahweh in all of his glory. And there was like lightning and thunder. And there were these angelic beings. And they were saying, holy, holy, holy. And it sounded like the, the Hebrew word for holy is the word Kadesh. And it was just, it sounded like lightning striking, like Kadesh, Kadesh, Kadesh. And Isaiah said, I didn't know what to do. It's like, I saw the Lord God in all of his glory. And in chapter 12 of the Gospel of John, John quoted Isaiah chapter 6. And he said, that was the day that Isaiah saw Jesus in all of his glory. John was the only one of um, the followers of Jesus who was there when, when Jesus literally, when he died for us, like John was the only one of the disciples that were, was actually there. And when Jesus was nailed to that awful wood, when it was evident that he was dead, and I guess the Romans, I mean, they wanted to make sure something, so a soldier took a spear and he, and he pushed it into Jesus' side and something like the pericardium sac fills up with a serum when you die of hypovolemic shock, which is what Jesus died of. And something like water came out and something like blood came out. And John said, I realized in that moment that that was a fulfillment of an ancient prophecy that was six centuries old. They will look upon me, the one they pierced. And that comes from Zechariah chapter 12 which is a prophecy about the end of time. And it says when the world is kind of plunged into chaos and it's just about to come to the end, Yahweh said, they will look upon me, the one they pierced. I think that's why, you know, that John would say, it was Yahweh among us who died for us. You know, it was like Paul said in Acts chapter 20 that we were purchased by the blood of God. Um, so it's kind of, so Jesus, when he got his name, when, when um, on, at the end of the first week, of his time in our world, his name was the salvation of Yah, the salvation of Yahweh. It's kind of like, you know, I think about that name a little bit like Cinderella's glass slipper that kind of was passed around to a lot of people. And a lot of people tried it on until it finally found the one that it fit. And so when it was time to do that, like not the time, when it was time to give the baby his name, which the angel had already given the, baby, the name to Joseph, and Joseph was going to give that name to the baby, the name Jesus. But that was on the day that they would circumcise baby boys. And I just don't really know who did it. Like, I don't know... In most of the medieval paintings of the circumcision of the baby Jesus, it would be in the temple. And I mean, they were right down the road from the temple, about three miles. And a priest would do it. And I, that's possible, you know, that, that, that like Joseph would want to make sure that it's done right. But normally, the dads would do it, circumcise their baby boys. 
But Joseph was 13, like he was either 13 or 14. And normally you might have your dad helping you or your granddad or somebody helping you if it was your first one. And I just don't know. I, I just, in my heart, I had to believe that he had to find somebody to help him. And whether it was a neighbor he had met since they had been in Bethlehem who felt sorry for them, or maybe it was the baker in the bakery shop down the road, or somebody that knew how to do it, maybe finally one of his uncles had softened his heart for these young kids that everybody thought was in trouble. But somebody took this little baby and just said, I'm sorry, buddy and took a knife, and as they say in Italian, he cut his little pizzolino, <laughs> and he began to cry, and Jesus began to cry. He began to bleed, and he began to cry so hard. You know little babies and how they cry, and their diaphragm goes in, and he cried so, so hard, and they probably smiled and rocked him. But I don't know if that baker or that uncle or that neighbor or that priest, whoever it was, I don't know if they ever realized, maybe years later, that baby was almighty God. If I had known that, I would have held him a little tighter. I might have sat down when I did it. I might have said, I can't do this. I was the one who made God cry. I was the one who made God bleed. I was the one who gave the baby who was God pain. I was the one who hurt God. He wouldn't be the last to do it. I've done it. I've done or not done things that I should or shouldn't have done. I've said or not said things that I should or shouldn't have said. I've thought or not thought things I should, have sh should or shouldn't have thought. And, and, I, and to think that when I do things like that or when I've done things like that, it breaks God's heart a little bit, that I have the capacity to hurt him. Um, I think it's one of the most dignifying thoughts in the world of thought. That in a universe with a hundred million, a hundred thousand million stars, in just the Milky Way, a hundred thousand million galaxies like ours, that are three million light years separated from each other, that are traveling away from each other at a hundred million miles a second. To think that Almighty God knows me and loves me, me, you, and me so much that I even have the capacity to hurt his feelings sometimes. <laughs> um, it's an old theme through the pages of scripture, like when the first human beings, when they did something they shouldn't have done, and they used to walk with God in the cool of the evening. And they were afraid for the first time. And they ran away to hide. And God said, hey, guys, where are you? Guys, 
Where'd you go? He knew where they were. But there was a quiver in his voice. It says in the book of Hosea, like Hosea is a book where, um, well, the book of Jeremiah, like all, all through the prophets, when God talks about the people that he loves, and he said, I loved you like, I loved you like a guy would love his bride. But you've been so unfaithful to me. And like in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah, he just said, what did I ever do but love you to make you be so unfaithful to me? And you could just, you can, you can almost hear his heart break as you read through that book in Hosea, which Hosea was a guy that God called to marry a woman who was very, very, and repeatedly unfaithful to him because he had been called to have the honor of bearing the kind of pain that God felt and having someone who would know how it feels. And there's a place in chapter 11 when God said, when you were a little kid, I just, I, I taught you how to walk. I held you by your hand and you walked away from me and I don't know what to do. I know what I should do, but I can't do it because my insides are on fire. You know, there, there's a, a story that Jesus said, told one time, that um, about, kind of about the way it feels to be him and why he hung out with the people that he did. But he said, so there was a dad and he had a son and his son came to him and said, dad, I, I don't like my inheritance. I'd like you to give it to me now. And I mean, people, you got your inheritance when your dad was dead. My Arab friends used to tell me that the son was telling the dad my life would be better if you were dead. And so, and then he went off and he, and he, you know, did all the stuff that he did. And, but in, just in through in inferences that you can get when you read the story, the dad every day was waiting and watching. And I think that you could make the case that he was weeping for the son, you know, that was just gone. And then as soon as the son came home, um, the dad saw him and he ran as fast as he could. And he went to him and he hugged him and kissed him and he hugged him and kissed him and he hugged him and kissed him. And there was no probation, there was no parole, there was no punishment. All he did was throw a gigantic party. And when somebody asked him why he threw a party for his son who had been so bad, he said, I, the party wasn't for him, the party's for me. I had to cheer myself up. I had to make myself merry. I have been sad long enough. You know, and the reason is because, um, because God is love. And love, I mean, people talk about the unconditional love of God, and that's true. Like, if you mean by unconditional that God lo he loves you all the time and he'll never stop loving you, but all love is conditioned by what it gets back. Love always wants love back. And like the dad in the story, he loved his son. And when his son ran away, the condition of his love was sad. And when his son came home, the condition of his love was happy. All love, it's not love if it doesn't want to be loved back. You know what I mean? And so like, I, you know, sometimes when I think, 
And God wants love back, and it hurts to not be loved back. And so, like, I, I think, you know, the concept that God is love, like, that, that God, like, okay, until I really get that concept into my mind and into my heart, I can't understand most of the Bible. Like, you know what, like, so... Like when the Bible says God is holy, that's an adjective like to describe God. But God is love, like that's a noun. Love is who God is. God is holy because God's love. There's a place in Romans chapter 13 where it says the, the, the most precise expression of holiness is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are fulfilled in love. If A equals B and B equals C, A equals C. God is holy because He is love. And so, like, and just to think that if that God is love, it kind of helps you. Um, it kind of helps you understand. Like, there's a place in the New Testament where there'll be like lists of sins. These are things that God thinks are really, really bad, really, really bad stuff. And we probably have our list, but he has his list. And so like in Romans chapter one, it's a big long list. And he, these are the things that are super bad, like murder and drunken orgies and, and like idolatry. And you know, the couple of places has witchcraft. And when people are argumentative and they like to argue all the time, and they love it. And when people are divisive, it's like, that goes with witchcraft. Like when people say, we're right and y'all are wrong. And the other people say, no, we're right, y'all are wrong. That's as bad as idolatry. Yep. When people call people names in verse 29. When people talk about people behind their back. When people are mean. When people are just mean, well, we don't think that stuff is that bad. We kind of like some of that stuff. Well, God hates it. He hates it because he's love. It's not the kind of world he wanted. He wanted a world filled with love, not a world filled with arguments and not a world filled with people being divisive and not a world filled with people calling each other names. He doesn't want it. And I care, I know and care about God to the extent that I know and care about love. Because God is love. And if I don't care about not being that way, it hurts him. Because it's because it's not love. Do you know what I mean? Like God is love. And Paul says that love is kind. I know and care about God to the extent that I know and care about kindness. And it's like if I'm unkind, I don't care about him that much because he's love and love is kind. And it hurts him. There's a place where Jesus said, um, he said, um, the way you can tell if somebody really, really gets it is I was hungry and you fed me. Or I was disfavored and you cared about me. I was a poor immigrant who came into your country and you welcomed me, or you didn't welcome me. And it's because um, God is love. And 
if I really care about love, I care about him like I know and care about God to the extent that I know and care about love. And if I do love, um, if I love love, I love him. Do you know what I mean? And if I don't love love, I don't really love him and it hurts him. You could almost say that um, what theologians call sin is anything that hurts the heart of Jesus. And um, but when he came to pay for us, um, okay, so I had a thought. Am I, are y'all with me? Okay, so this is a little bit, I know this is a little bit confusing, but I had a thought. So if any, if anything is, um, so if you could, if you, if, if in a certain way you could define sin as anything that hurts the heart of Jesus, there's a verse that I've never really understood that well. I've always tried to, but Paul said, Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin for us. If a sin is anything that hurts the heart of Jesus, when Jesus came to pay for us, it was literally Jesus being hurt for us. Like the ultimate hurt, the, the day that he cried, the day that he shed blood, the day that he was hurt for us. And that's how he paid for us. And he paid for the fact that I have been unloving, that I haven't loved him, and that I haven't loved love. And he paid for all of it. And he took it all away so that when I trust in him, I'm completely forgiven of all of that, of completely forgiven of being so unloving. I'm justified, I'm declared righteous, I'm declared holy, I'm declared loving. He looks at me as if I'd always loved everybody and him the whole time. And that's how he saved us. Um, But it's also how he heals me. So the word salvation in the New Testament, it means to rescue. But lots of times it means to heal someone. Um, Jesus kind of letting me hurt him sometimes when I do or say things that aren't loving. It's what he's used in my life to heal me from being that way. Okay. Are we good? Okay. I, I feel like this, I like, I feel this has gotten like, maybe gotten a little bit complicated, but um, so when I understand that Jesus is God and God is love, okay, so he doesn't need my love in order to love those that he loves? 
Like, you know what I mean? Like, he is love. You know how, like, there are some people, like, they don't really feel much love, like their love bucket is not very full, so they're always trying to get people to love them, and when they don't, they just shut down and they stop loving. But Jesus is God, and God is love, and Jesus is love. He doesn't need my love to love the people that he loves. So, like, Zechariah said... In Zechariah chapter 1, prophesying about Jesus, that he will be like the sun. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, let the sun shine on you. Let Jesus shine on you. Jesus wants to shine on me like the sun shines. And if I don't let him shine on me, he doesn't stop shining because he's the sun. And if I don't really... Um, so Jesus, God the Son, has always lived in the world of love of God the Father and God the Son. So he doesn't, in order to love, he doesn't need the love of those whose love he would love having. And if he doesn't get it back, it may hurt him, but he doesn't stop loving me. So there's an episode in, um, in the Gospels that winds up being pretty big. And it is um, that one of Jesus' followers was a guy named Peter. He was the third of Jesus' followers to meet him. And, um, and Jesus started saying, and so this comes out, uh, this, this is repeated a lot. I mean, it's a story that's told a lot in the Gospels. Jesus started to tell his disciples that one of their disciples would betray him. And, um, and Peter said, I mean, I know it's not going to be me. Like, I mean, I, mean, I know that these, these doofuses, I could see it, but like not, like not me. Like Jesus, Jesus, the day Jesus met Peter, met, Peter's name was Simon. Simon is the most common name among boys in the Holy Land in the time of the Bible. And Jesus gave him the name Peter. There is no record that any baby boy was ever called that in the time of the New Testament. It was a complete unique name. And so Peter had this thing about Jesus loves me because, I mean, these guys are idiots, but I will never do this. Like that Jesus said, I will do it, but I will never do it. And, and, um, and so Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And Peter said, Lord, I will never betray you. And then in a matter of just a few hours, he was by a campfire and, um, a girl came up to him, and Jesus was being interrogated, and they could see each other. And Jesus said, um, and uh, this girl said, came to Peter and said, aren't you one of his disciples? And he said, he thought, I will never do this. He said, moi? Like, I? No, why do you say that? And another girl came up to him and said, I think you're one of his. And he said, I don't even know. So Jesus had told him, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. I know all about it. And at the end of chapter 13 of John, he said, you're going to, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. You believe in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I know all about it, son. I know things about you that you don't even know. 
And um, he said, I don't even know who you're talking about. Another guy came up and said, I think you're one of those Galileans, which they kind of thought of them as country people, because you said, I don't know what y'all are talking about. So I can tell you're one of those Galileans. And he began to curse and to swear and said, I don't even know who you're talking about. And the rooster crowed and he looked at Jesus and Jesus looked at him. And it was a look of love. But there was also a little bit of hurt. And it's like, well, how could there have been hurt? Jesus knew it was going to happen. When you take your kids to college and you leave them there, the very first time, you know it's going to happen. But when you do it, didn't it hurt? And then Jesus was dead. And then Peter, it's like, and then Peter's like, I'm not, I'm not the person that I thought I was. Like I had this image of myself and I thought I was somebody that I wasn't. And I, how could Jesus have loved me? Like he knew who I was. How could he have loved me? They, so on that Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead, Luke tells us and Paul tells us that Jesus and Peter had a private conversation. And I, and I know Peter was like, when I found out that I wasn't the person that I thought I was, and I thought to myself, how could he possibly have loved that? And Jesus told him, that's the guy I always loved. I didn't love the person that you thought you were. I love the person that you actually were. Jesus doesn't love everyone. He doesn't love Santa Claus. He doesn't love Frosty the Snowman. He doesn't love the little drummer boy. He doesn't love people who don't actually exist. He doesn't love the person you think you are. He loves the person that you actually are. And I, think, and, and I think when Peter realized that, in his heart, he felt like, I love you more than I ever dreamed I could ever love you. To know that after I've hurt you, you never, ever stopped loving me. So one conversation they had a few days later along the beach, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you know I love, you know, Jesus said, asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know I love you. And okay, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. You loved me when I hurt you. I love you more than I've ever loved you. And Jesus said, okay. Now we're ready to go. <sighs> I feel like I made a big mess of that, but all I was trying to say is that he loves you. And when you do something, um, and it hurts because he loves you, because love wants love back, but it doesn't hurt him that bad. 
because he's love and he'll never stop loving you. And that's what makes you more than anything else love him. And that's how you change. Lord Jesus, um, thank you. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for being love. Thank you for um, being a savior who never ever, who never ever stops loving. And who's ultimately, it's a love that fills our heart, that wins our heart, that makes us love you, makes us love love and makes us who we were always supposed to be. Thank you, Lord. In your precious name, amen. It's dark down here. We don't know the way. Lord, we need some light. It's harsh down here. We're filled with hate We need some peace tonight We are crying out To you, Jesus Oh, love, come Now shown 
peace on his throne The hope of my heart has drawn Oh